Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the adapter theory to connect mission delivery teams and technology teams. The humans need to adapt and work together. So when we put the two pieces together, field component with the IT people, they work. Your adapters are all working. If you don't do that, then everybody just gets mad at each other. And, you know, permanently ticked off people is just a bad situation in a work environment. And the technology changes that are transforming workforces. Things like uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, people throw robotic process automation, those kinds of things out there. But even cybersecurity, how we do cybersecurity is different. It's Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. IT leaders from CISA and HHS headline the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference May 19th, happening at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Government agencies use cloud services for critical workloads more than data centers, according to new research from FedScoop. The research finds data and security are the leading drivers of IT decision-making. Renee Wynn is former chief information officer at NASA. Renee, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming back on the program. What's in this research that I think is important is the mindset more than the actual deployment of technology. Um, The work here finds that people now think, among 168 IT leaders across government, that cloud gets them better results than data centers do. That's the biggest hurdle, in my mind, uh, to get people to make these transitions. Am I on the right track, do you think, Renee? Welcome. Thank you, Francis, and it's wonderful to be here with you again, and I hope everything's going well for you this spring. We've talked about this before, and Francis, you've mentioned this with other interviews, and and I've seen this in articles. With any IT adoption, or or frankly, yeah, with any IT adoption, it's people, process, and tools. And that just never seems to change, despite our desire to do tools, because they're really cool, and they make great things happen, and they're sparkly. But if you don't do people, process, tools, now you've got tools just sitting around on your network, not giving you the benefit of what they can do. So with cloud computing, um, one, to tell people, and I think this is in support of the study that FedScoop did, at Jet Propulsion Lab for NASA, they used uh, cloud computing, and they're using cloud computing for Perseverance, which is the rover on the Mars that arrived in uh, February of 2021, and that launch was in 2020, and that as the first helicopter ever on another planet. So it can be done, but you get back to the people. It was the people that designed the rover and, and all of that. So first, you got to understand the compute needs of the people you work with, and then marry those up with the compute capabilities and look at the amount of time that it takes to go from an on-prem mindset to a cloud mindset, and then how do I technically go and design the system so it can be in the cloud? Because there is a design piece that goes with cloud computing. All right, I want to come back to the design piece, but everybody else says people process and technology, and you said people process and tools. What's the difference between technology and tools? Is that just a more all-encompassing name, or is it just semantics, or does it make a difference? It's... It's technology. However, I 
NASA being the last place that I worked in technology, it's, it was a complex environment. So you had to get your tools to actually work together. So to me, I'm always thinking technology is a series of tools that you want to bring together to optimize your purpose. And so there can be, there's software that you use. You're bringing data in from other uh, pieces of software into that in order to get a better picture of what you want to do. So I have never found that it's simply one piece of technology that you bring together. You bring in a series of tools, a series of technology to come together in order to do the thing you want to do, whether it's in mission support or mission. So that architecture you just laid out, Renee, involves just huge copious amounts of data. Um, is data driving the cloud? Is cloud driving the data capabilities? Or is it just kind of a, a endless loop, one driving the other, driving the other, driving the other? You know, I've never really thought about this. And I think it's great that you asked this is it feels like sometimes that the data, it's a chicken and egg story. Yeah you all of a sudden have terabytes of data coming back from a mission in space, which is more than you saw even 10 years ago. And now you've got to be able to distribute the data, compute the data, and we're now computing at the edge up in space. So you, you get into this, well, I've got more data, and then you get more data and like, oh, there's really cool things I can be doing with this data. And then you start adding your compute power, you know, so you get into this balancing act on where to compute and how much compute you need and where being here on terra firma at the edge, which can be in space, or if you're dealing with a flood situation, is it in the truck that's responding to a flood or something like that? So it's where and, and how much and what are you trying to do? And you also get into who's accessing it. Edge computing gets a shout out in this work we were talking about earlier, this research that FedScoop just put out. Spending on edge computing, gaining ground four in 10 respondents expect their agencies will spend 20% or more annually uh, on uh, IT investments on edge computing capabilities three years from now compared to less than two in 10 respondents who invest at that level now. So as the spending goes up, what should organizations keep in mind about edge computing? And, and is the deployment cycle, is the deployment plan strategy different than doing it on the ground or on premises or in a, in a more traditional environment? So I'm going to keep this stack back on terra firma and not talk about the space okay. edge computing <laughs> that's starting to happen now. And, and, in, and the reason I'm doing that is because it goes back to stress the people point. So uh, first responders go out and there's some in a situation and I'll make it an emergency situation, a large flood a situation that has already come through and you're in the aftermath. Well, there's a lot that has to go on in that response. There's people that need to be helped, businesses that need to be helped. There's the cleanup afterwards. There's the rebuilding. And so all of this has this underneath economic part. The IT people have to work with the responders to understand what they do in the field to give them the right compute capability in the field. And they need to have now the right hardware with them in order to do that as well. And then what's your support piece? Are you going to try and confine it? Let's say it's a remote situation. Then you want to bring a truck with a lot of capabilities in it and you bring that near it. Now you're doing is compute in the field 
and you can do an analysis in the truck um, or do the, you know, backhaul that data into maybe a data center to, with greater compute power in order to then do greater analysis associated. So what analysis do you need in the field? And then do I need to backhaul it in order to augment my field capability in order to serve better with whatever my mission is? And I just mentioned a flood response. How micro do the IT people need to go on those missions to understand what the capabilities are that the people on the edge need? They've got to understand the way they work. So, it, it you know, a left-handed person, a rugged computer, uh, a can they do it on a mobile device? Um, are they, you know, is is are they going to be out in the weather, um, or are they going to be in a truck? You've got to understand all of this, and I think it's it pushes IT businesses because you know everybody's got constrained resources, and I mean that kind of in a, and not in a negative way. Is mm-hmm. you still have X number of people, X number of capabilities. How do you service all of them? And that's where the partnership becomes critical because in many ways. Should it be the IT person or should it be the partnership where the person who's the field responder, who are very, you know, they're smart folks, they know what they need to do. Is this where your partnerships begin to flourish? Maybe the lines get a little blurry, blurry, but as long as they work together, then they should be able to provide better services to people that are out in the field doing uh, work. Well, I wonder if the lines blurring isn't necessarily a bad thing if they're blurring in a collaborative way that the IT people understand mission delivery better and mission delivery people understand the art of the possible, which strikes me as always the kind of the point of the IT people being in the field. If that's happening, that blurring of the lines is probably good, isn't it? I think it is, but humans are kind of funny about (laughs) what they want to possess and it it has to be in a collaborative way or bits and parts don't match. Um, if, if you've ever been overseas or, or right outside of the United States and you go to plug something in, the, the plug that we use here does not match yeah. a lot of places. So you get an adapter. Well, I always think about, well, if I don't have the adapter and, and all of that, then my stuff's not going to work. It's not different. The humans need to adapt and work together. So when we, put the two pieces together, field component with the IT people, they work. Your adapters are all working. If you don't do that, then everybody just gets mad at each other. And, you know, permanently ticked off people is just a bad situation in a work environment. Renee Wynn, great to talk to you as always, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you, Francis. It was, it was a treat. You can read more about the research Renee and I talked about in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. On Wednesday's show, only a third of agencies are succeeding at security, according to the letter of the law. Jennifer Franks of the Government Accountability Office offers some potential fixes on tomorrow's Daily Scoop podcast. That show debuts Wednesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. An information technology strategic plan vision is coming from the Agriculture Department. That strategic plan will lay out the department's plans to support its mission areas through IT. Gary Washington is Chief Information Officer at USDA. Gary, welcome. It's great to see you, my friend. Thanks for coming on the program. What will this consist of? As you're building this strategic plan, 
What are you including, and how will you demonstrate how you're going to support the mission areas of USDA? Welcome. Well, thanks a lot, Francis, and uh, thanks for having me on today. Um, basically, what we plan to uh, accomplish over the next uh, four years is really centered around um, uh, supporting the customer experience executive order by digitizing what we do uh, so we can improve uh, service delivery to the many uh, people that we serve across America, uh, the farmers, ranchers, uh, scientists, forester, and foresters, and others. Um, a second tenet of that is really um, improving our IT workforce and working with them to ensure that they're prepared uh, for the 21st century and beyond with new skill sets. Um, I mean, because as you know, uh, information technology uh, changes uh, uh, frequently. It's always changing. And we have to keep up with that. And we um, we need to make sure that we have the proper workforce to uh, support uh, mission delivery across uh, USDA and the demands for new and emerging technologies. And obviously, there are the things such as, you know, cybersecurity, which is priority one and one A, uh, especially at USDA, because we're so uh, spread out and, and uh, we have an international presence as well. And we have very diverse missions. And I mean, when people think about USDA, they really probably don't think that people will be interested in um, cyber attacking USDA, but you know, that's not the case. <laughs> so we have to protect ourselves. Um, and you know, we're very focused as well on um, implementing the mandates for electronic records and um, you know, becoming as paperless as we can. I mean, obviously, you know, USDA is very large. So we have to, you know, scope, scope that properly as well. So uh, with those four tenants and of course being good stewards of the taxpayers' money and making sure that we're governing and we're managing properly and, and we're aligning IT appropriately to uh, the secretary's vision, um, you know, we we plan to um, you know really take what we've done already and expand on that and, and improve on what we've already established. I imagine you had a jump start too, because the customer experience concept was really important in the centers of excellence that you established. You were the, the, the flagship organization for COEs in the previous administration. So I imagine you had a little bit of a head start on that one. Yeah, we did. I mean, in the centers of excellence, um, you know, not only did we modernize our infrastructure and, and quite frankly, we did some things that we really needed to do, like consolidate a lot of activities, move a lot of our applications to the cloud, that kind of thing. But we introduced uh, new concepts such as data analytics to USDA. And now we have a pretty mature program and we're moving on that. That's become um, a, a, a institutionalized practice in USDA. But it got us thinking about, you know, how do we serve our customers and actually start, you know, our digital, our digital journey, if you will. So, yes. What does an institutionalized data analytics program look like? What's that, what does that mean, Gary? Well, I mean, is, is, is we, like, like, like our, our leadership talks about, we want to be a data-driven uh, organization and use, you know, uh, data to make informed decisions. And with that, you know, there's many tenants to that. I mean, you know, you have to have a, you know, a strong uh, governance practice when it comes to data 
make sure that there's uh, quality, you know, your data is, has quality and integrity. And in addition to that, give people the means to um, visualize information so that they can see it in different ways so that they can, you know, make certain decisions and ask different questions, you know. So um, we're very excited about that. Um, and our leadership has um, embraced that and has supported that practice. And, and uh, as you know, our pre uh, uh, the originator of that has moved on to another agency, but our current uh, chief data officer, Chris Alvarez, he's been doing a phenomenal job. You mentioned workforce as a pillar of this strategic plan. How are you evaluating today the workforce skills inventory broadly across the enterprise that you will need over the next four years, given the way that technology changes over time, how, how rapidly it turns? Well, we have an IT workforce practice within my office. Um, we have a, um, a lady that, that heads that up, and uh, her name is, is Kimberly Jackson. And we work very closely with our Office of Human Resources. And uh, so we have a whole workforce strategy, IT workforce strategy and practice. In addition to that, you know, we have some very serious conversations about, you know, what do we want our workforce of the future to look like? You know, um, you know things like uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, people throw robotic process automation, those kinds of things out there. But even cybersecurity, how we do cybersecurity is different. You know, you know, we're trying to put people, our current workforce in a position to be able to go along this journey with us. But in addition to that, you know, there's a recruitment aspect for new talent. You know, so we're looking for people to give them opportunities out of college you know, some of these minority serving institutions and um, allow them to be a part of this as well. Because um, when you think of agriculture, for the most part, you think of farmers, you know, you really don't think of IT. So we, we, we're starting to go on this crusade to recruit our next workforce. You said cyber is priority one and one A, and that's not surprising. Every agency, I think, would respond in a similar way. How does that manifest itself, though, when you're building a plan? Because you have frameworks in place. You have the cyber executive order. You mm -hmm. have so you know, there's already kind of guiding policy documentation about there about what you're supposed to be doing. FISMA and FATAR, and there's a million of them. Right. Um, is it just a matter of amalgamating all of that into a policy that works for USDA, or is there more to it than that, Gary? I, I think it's more to it than that. I, I mean, first of all. Um, we, as the other agencies are, we are extremely uh, serious and aggressive about implementing the requirements from the cyber EO and the corresponding executive orders, uh, memorandums. So, um, but I think all of that being said, there's a shift in culture that takes place too, because, you know, people, whether you're IT or not, you know, you have to think differently about what you do and make sure you're always conscious of what's going on around you because cybersecurity is everybody's responsibility. So we, we have been very aggressive in terms of making sure we're very inclusive in our cyber journey and not just talking at people about they have to do this, but why they have to do this and why it's in their best benefit and how they can help us, you know, because we don't want to be uh, an obstacle to their mission delivery but we want to make sure that they have a secure journey for mission delivery. 
we, we talked about the centers of excellence and the fact that that was a, a, an outcome of the Trump administration and the benefit that that's provided in your customer experience journey and how that'll impact this strategic plan. You mentioned uh, Secretary Vilsack's vision, and Secretary Vilsack is uh, Secretary of Agriculture for the second time. So he yes. had a vision when he came in, I imagine, that was informed by his previous tenure there. Is that helpful to have these pieces from administrations that may not have the same policy goals in mind? Or does that maybe make your job a little bit difficult, more difficult than that it ordinarily would? How does that shake out, Gary? I, I, I don't think it makes my job difficult. I, I think we we just did the right things. I mean, I, I think, quite frankly, any administration that would have come in previously probably would have done some of the things that we did. I mean, although, be it as large as we are, you know, we, we took some risk because this was very different for USDA. Uh, but Secretary Vilsack has come in and, you know, he's been very supportive. Um, he wants to be smart about modernizing, uh, very involved in our cyber journey and everything. So it's, it's been nothing but, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been very refreshing to have the amount of support that we have and um, and be able to expand on the things that we've already done, you know. Uh, I am not implying any kind of knowledge about where you're going to be in four years. It's just speculation based on what the, the landscape has looked like in the 15 years or so that I've covered the federal government. But you're working on a plan that it's possible that you won't be around to see the end of the execution of. The average CIO tenure in government is less than four years. How, how does that inform, if at all, the way that you think about um, leading the the put together of this, Gary? I I I um I've been the CIO at USDA. September the sixth will be five years. So um, I have every intention to make sure that we implement this plan. So I I uh, I haven't even thought about leaving USDA. <laughs> so so I, to answer your question. This plan, which is uh, going through final approvals now, um, we do this with the intention of knowing that we are actually going to do what we say we're going to do. And we're going to be there to make sure we see it through. And I want to be clear, I, as I said, I'm not uh, trying to share any messages <laughs> between the lines or any of that, my friend. Yeah. It's just a, a matter of looking at the timelines. It's great to talk to you. Great to catch up with you. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Francis. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. You can read more about what's going on at agriculture in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put this show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is back tomorrow with Jennifer Franks of the Government Accountability Office. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.